For our scripture reading this morning, we have two passages, and we have one from the Old Testament and one from the New. We're going to start in Deuteronomy, so grab your Bibles, grab your Bible app, open it up, and head over to Deuteronomy 18 with me. And I'm going to be reading uh, verses 15 to 22, and then I'm going to head over to uh, Hebrews. Deuteronomy 18, verse 15. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen, just as you desired the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly, when you said, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, or see this great fire any more, lest I die. And the Lord said to me, They are right in what they have spoken. I will raise up from them a prophet like you, from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And whoever will not listen to my words, that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name, that I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that same prophet shall die. And if you say in your heart, How may we know the word the Lord has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word that the the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You need not be afraid of him. Now head over to Hebrews 1 with me. Hebrews 1, verses 1 to 3. Long ago, and many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds and universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. This is the word of the Lord. All right, before we come to this morning's message, just join me in a moment of prayer. Let's all bow our hearts before the Lord, asking that he would speak to us through his word now. Yeah, Father, that is our request. We are grateful that you have spoken to us through the prophets of old and most supremely through your Son, Jesus Christ. And as we continue in this Advent season, I'm praying that you would exalt him in our midst, that we would see Jesus in all of his glory, that we would bow the knee to him, we would learn what it means to follow him. So, Father, be pleased to exalt your Son through our Advent season. Be pleased to speak to us clearly in our hearts this morning by the power of your Spirit and reveal to us what you want us to hear, that we might give you the worship that is due you, and that we might follow you more closely. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, this morning I want to begin a a new Advent series that's going to go for the next few weeks, uh, right up until our big Christmas Eve service. And uh, since I'm beginning a new series, I actually want to do two introductions this morning. I know that's probably bad, preachers shouldn't do that, but I need to introduce the series, 
And then I need to introduce today's specific message, and I'll get my words right as we go along as well. You know, you got to warm up, you got to kind of get going. So this is me getting going. So let me introduce the series first of all, because what I want to talk to you about over the next three weeks is probably something that is newer to you. Some of you will have heard of it before. But some of the categories might be new. It might sound a little theological, a little bit too much Bible teaching. But what I want to show you is, yes, it's got some Bible teaching and it is theological, but there, is, there are few things that are more practical, that are more life-changing than what we are going to talk about over the next few weeks. So here's what this series is about. It's about what theologians call the threefold office of Christ. I told you it's a bit wordy. Let's explain that for a moment. An office. When we use that word office in this phrase, we simply refer to an official position, an official role that Jesus holds. So even in our society, we might talk about the office of the prime minister. It's the official role of the prime minister. Now at Christmas time, we often focus on who Jesus is. That is, he is the God-man. He is God become flesh, and that's really, really important. But here's the follow-up to that. Why did God become a man? What's the point of it all? Okay, so we get the, the, the story of what's going on here, but what, what, what did he come to do? And the answer that I want to show you over the next few weeks is he came to fulfill not just one role, but three roles. So I think we could put it like this. Christmas is about how God became a man in order to fulfill the office of a prophet, the office of a priest, and the office of a king. So, quick Bible background, Old Testament teaching, just to get some categories in place, and then we'll be able to move into the introduction to the actual message for today. In the Old Testament, God gave three offices, three official roles to the people of Israel. First of all, he gave the office of the prophet, and you might, if you've read the Bible at all, you would know prophets like Elijah, like Isaiah. Then he gave the office of a priest, so that would be Aaron and all of Aaron's sons, the Levites. And then, of course, there was the office of the king, and the most famous of the kings would be probably King David and on all of his descendants as well. So here's the question then. Why did God give these three offices, these three official roles to the nation of Israel? Why are they so important for them and then for us today as well? Well, it's all very practical. Here's why. First of all, Israel and we today need a prophet because our sin has blinded us to be able to see reality correctly. We, didn't, we are become ignorant. We need a prophet to reveal truth to us. And that's what a prophet does. A prophet reveals the truth. Our second great need is that we are all guilty of sin, and so we need a priest. And a priest's job is to offer a sacrifice to God so that people will have their sins covered or forgiven, and they will be reconciled to God. So we need a prophet to reveal truth, and we need a priest to reconcile us to God. And then finally, Israel and we today need a king. We have enemies, dark spiritual powers, our enemy of death. Not only that, our own hearts If there's anything that history has proven, it is that we simply cannot rule ourselves. We can't rule ourselves, and we can't rule our planet. And so God gave the nation of Israel kings, and the king's job was to defeat the enemies and also to bring peace and and justice and to reign in all these ways so that the people of God can enjoy 
a life that flourishes. So a prophet reveals, a priest reconciles, and a king rules. Now, stick with this a bit more Bible background stuff. In the Old Testament, no one man or woman fulfilled all three of these roles in the one person. It was split up, and many people fulfilled these roles. Not only that, the many people who fulfilled each of these roles, also many of them failed miserably. Probably the best example, again, of this is King David. Here's the king who's supposed to rule, but this king cannot even rule over his own sinful desires, commits adultery, and ends up getting somebody murdered. Not a king to emulate in that part of his life. So as we read the Old Testament, with all the people who have to fulfill these things, with all the failure, what begins to happen is there's a longing in the Old Testament where people are saying, oh, that God would send us a prophet who could fully reveal the truth to us. Oh, that God would do that for us. Oh, that God would send a priest who could somehow offer a sacrifice to fully forgive our sins so there'd have to be endless priests and endless sacrifices. Oh, that God would send us a true king after his own heart who could defeat our enemies, who could subdue our hearts and help us to live in peace, to fix our worlds. And this is where the message of Christmas comes in. The message of Christmas is that God became a man in order to rescue us by perfectly fulfilling all three of these official roles, these three offices, all in one person. What many people could not do, the one person Jesus Christ does. Jesus is the final and ultimate prophet. Jesus is the final and ultimate priest. And Jesus is the final and ultimate king. So that's the Old Testament background. I know that's a lot. We just fire hosed you right away, jumping right into our Advent teaching. But this is what we want to look at, the threefold office of Christ. And here's why I want to do that. I want to do it because, first of all, you can understand then what's the whole point of Christmas. Why would God become a man? You can answer that. But more than that, that you would begin to see God's great love for us in sending his son that you would see Jesus in a new way. You would see him in his glory. You'd, see, you'd have more nuance, more understanding into what exactly he did. You're not just general in your thinking, but in your prayer life, and your worship, you can say, Jesus, I adore you and I worship you because of this and this particular thing. I'm praying by the end of this series and throughout it, and particularly today, we would turn to one another, having our hearts so filled with the glory of what Jesus has done, that we would say to one another, oh, come, let us adore him, Christ the Lord. All right, so that's the introduction to the series on Jesus as our prophet, priest, and king. Introduction number two. Since we did a lot of teaching, now let's tell a story. But what we're going to do today is we're going to look at part one, which is Jesus, the prophet who reveals. Focusing in now just on the role of the prophet. And now we did all that teaching. Let's, let's tell a little story. I want to tell you a story of one of my favorite short stories. You can look it up on the internet if you want to read it. Uh, it's by H.G. Wells and it is entitled The Country of the Blind. In this story, Wells pictures this remote uh, tribe of people that live up in this valley within the uh, mountains in South America. And this valley is surrounded all by cliffs, so they, they live in this valley, and they think really this valley is the only place in the world. 
And yet a strange disease comes upon this entire group of people, and what happens is they all go blind. And as the generations go by, their eyes even begin to just sink back into their heads so they just kind of have a hollow, and their eyelids permanently shut so that they never open. This happens to all the newborns who are born. Every single person in this entire small nation of people living in within this secluded valley grows up blind. And so we read this. When at last sight died out among them, the race lived on. Generation followed generation. They forgot many things. They devised many things. Their tradition of the greater world they came from became mythical in color and uncertain. Hundreds of years passed. In fact, 14 generations later, a mountain climber named Nunez stumbles upon this secluded valley and upon this secluded village. And he sees a group of people walking along and he calls out to them and eventually he comes near and he realizes every single one of them are blind. They ask him where he's come from. And Nunez answers, well, I come from over the mountains. I come from the land where people can see. I come from Bogota, Colombia. And when he begins to use words like seeing and Bogota, they start to remark to one another and they say, clearly, he's very simple-minded. He, he, his brain must be just beginning to form. He, he doesn't even know how to use words properly. And so they take Nunez before the elders of the village. He tries to begin to explain to them about the wider world, about the sky, about the world, uh, everything that's beyond. But then Wells writes this. They would understand nothing whatever that he told them. For 14 generations, these people had been blind and cut off from the seeing world. The names for all the things of sight had faded and changed. The story of the outer world was faded and changed to a children's story. Blind men of genius had arisen among them and questioned the shreds of belief and tradition they had brought with them from their seeing days and had dismissed all these things as idle fancies and replaced them with new and saner explanations. So, for instance, they now believe that the entire valley was the entire world. Not only that, they believed that there was a dome over top of their valley about 60 feet up in the air that no one could get to, but that's where the earth ended and they spoke of angels, quote, whom one could hear singing and making fluttering sounds, but whom no one could touch at all, which puzzled Nunez greatly until he thought of birds. So Nunez tries to teach them, and the story goes on off the time to tell you it all. You can read it if you like. He tries to teach them, but they come to the conclusion that he must be mentally unwell. And they begin to discern, why is this the case? And they feel, well, it must have something to do with his eyes. Rather than having a concave section in his eyes, his has something sticking out. Not only that, his eyelids seem to flicker up and down every about seven seconds. They're moving, whereas normal people's eyelids don't do this. They remain shut. And so they conclude, it must be that his eyes are diseased. And the disease is going into his brain, and therefore he cannot think correctly. So they call for the doctors to save Nunez's life. And they say, we will save your life. We will. The story ends when Nunez flees the country of the blind. Now, this is a very good picture of what the Bible says is wrong with the human race. 
Really, we could say the Bible says that we all live on the planet of the blind. Not, not that we are physically blind, but that we are unaware, we cannot see reality correctly. See, the Bible says in the beginning when God created human beings, they could see reality correctly. Adam and Eve could see God himself. They could walk and talk with God. They could answer the big important questions of life like, is there a God? What is God like? What is truth? Where did we come from? What is the meaning of life? What is right and wrong? How do we live in harmony with each other and with the planet that God has given us? They could see reality correctly. But then, as you know, they were deceived, and they turned away from their Creator. And when they did this, the Bible says, their minds became darkened. We could say their eyes to discern reality became darkened. And if you read Genesis 4 to 11 and then just read the rest of the human race, we read that generation followed generation, that human beings forgot many things. We devised many things. And the knowledge of God that was once so well known with Adam and Eve, reality was once seen so clearly, all of this faded into the mists of our own blindness, even to the point today where people would consider the first couple chapters of Genesis to be children's stories. What's wrong with the world? To speak plainly, the Bible says our first big problem, not our only, but our first big problem is that we are ignorant that we are ignorant, we lack knowledge, we lack understanding into the true nature of reality, to what truth is, to what is really real. We do not know who God is, what God is like, how we're supposed to live as human beings. I think you can see this everywhere. This is why I say this gets so practical for us today. Because just look around, one of the most frustrating things about our day and age, and I hear this all the time from people, and you'll hear it as soon as I get to it, One of the most frustrating things is how many opinions there are on just about any topic that you want to talk about. There are so many world religions. How do you know which one, if any, are true? How do you know what is right and wrong on all the hot topics of our day, from sexuality to abortion to euthanasia to whatever topic you want to talk about? How do we know what is right and wrong? How do you decide that answer? Or there are so many viewpoints on what happens after death. Is it reincarnation? Do you go into nirvana? Do you live after death? When you die, is that just it? Who can answer a question like what happens after death? Then add to this fact, this is probably, in our generation, this is becoming increasingly frustrating. Is it not one of the most tragic statements of the generation in which we live that we have to create fact-checking sources when we watch a presidential debate? Is that not one of the saddest commentaries on our day and age that we cannot implicitly trust the most powerful, potentially the most powerful man in the world, that what he says is true? We have to fact check that? How do we trust anyone? How do you know what is true? I was on the ferry a few weeks ago, and I was uh, in the bookstore, the, the gift store, and I saw this copy of the Scientific American magazine. Here's what the cover looks like. 
The cover says, Truth versus Lies, and the subtitle says, It's never been more important to understand the science of misinformation and deception and how to know what's real. So I picked it up. It's a good, good magazine. Very important topics. How do we figure this out? This is our day and age. How do you know what is true when there's so many opinions out there, so much fake news, so much different disinformation, so many conspiracy theories? Is there any way to cure our blindness so that we can see reality correctly? The answer of the Bible is, you cannot do this on your own. There are some things that you can figure out, but big picture, you cannot figure this out on your own. You live on the country, you live on the planet of the blind. You and I are as blind as one another. We are stumbling around. Yes, we can discern some things, figure some things out, but we need someone from beyond, some, a Nunez character who can come in and teach us the true nature of reality. And God in His grace has provided a way to cure us of our blindness that we might know the truth. And this is what Christmas is all about. But before we get to Christmas, here's what I want to go now. I want to show you how through the Bible and through history, God has begun to cure our blindness in four stages of history. Okay, so we're going to walk through these four stages. We're going to dig into this. Four stages in which God has mercy and grace upon us as a human race and offers to cure our blindness so one day we can see 2020 again. All right, let's get into it. First of all, God began to cure our blindness by teaching us truth through the ancient prophets. This is how he began. Before the time of Christ, he began to cure our blindness by teaching us truth through the ancient prophets. So, let's start out with this very basic question. What is a prophet? Now, you might think a prophet is somebody who foretells the future. That's not actually that accurate. It's part of what a prophet does, but a prophet does far more than that. So, here, let me give you a definition of what a prophet is. A prophet is someone who hears from God and then speaks God's words to the people. Hears from God, could be about the future, but it's not always, and then speaks God's word to the people. So one of the great examples of this is Exodus chapter 7. You remember God comes and he speaks to Moses and he wants to go tell Moses to speak to Pharaoh, but Moses kind of freaks out. He's basically like, God, I haven't taken Toastmasters. I'm not a very good public speaker, uh, so I'm pleading with you. Let somebody else do this job. And God eventually says, all right, I'll, I'll let Aaron, your brother, go. So then God wraps it up by saying this. Here's the definition of a prophet. And the Lord said to Moses, see, I have made you, keywords, like God to Pharaoh. I'm going to make you just like myself. And your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. Because I'm going to speak to you, Moses. And then you're going to tell Aaron what to say. And Aaron will be your prophet. And, you're, and then he goes on. You shall speak all that I command you. You don't get to change what I say. You must say exactly what I say. And your brother Aaron shall tell Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go out of this land. So, listen very carefully to this. A prophet is not just a great man or woman. No, they're not great people. They're normal people. A prophet is not a more God-conscious, more, uh, I don't know, more enlightened person than other people. And so out of their great enlightenment and understanding of God, they are passing on all their great thoughts. No, that is not what a prophet is. Prophets are normal human beings whom God calls to fulfill the office 
of the prophet. God would then reveal certain specific truths to a prophet, and it was the prophet's job to only speak exactly what God said then to the people. If they changed it, they're a false prophet. If they made up their own words, they're a false prophet. Thus, God began to cure the ignorance of the human race through the nation of Israel, through revealing himself to the prophets, and the prophets began to reveal truth to the nation of Israel. But here is why I say God only began to cure our ignorance through the prophets. I say that because the revelation that God gave was not complete. Not at all. It was more like God began to take away Israel's blindness, began to allow them to see, but it's like their vision was very blurry. They could see better than the rest of the world that was living in blindness, but they only could see so much. It's better than being blind, but it's not 2020. However, there is a very key passage on this whole topic. Lucas read it for us earlier, and we're going to come to it now. It's in Deuteronomy 18. In Deuteronomy 18, God promises that He is going to raise up not just many prophets, but one single prophet, a supreme prophet, who will come and cure our blindness and teach us more fully. So here's what God says to Moses. For the Lord, or actually this is Moses speaking to the people. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him. Not to them, to him. There's one prophet God's going to raise up. To him you shall listen. And then God says, I will raise up for them a prophet like you, Moses, from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. So this then created a huge expectation amongst the people of Israel. Great excitement. Because what they were saying was, okay, we've got all these prophets. They're great. They're giving us some, some truth to understand reality correctly. But one day, the great promise here is God is going to send a supreme prophet, a final prophet, an ultimate prophet. This great expectation is probably best seen in that story of Jesus with the woman at the well. You remember that she discerns that Jesus must be a prophet in the way that he is speaking. And she says to him, quote, I know that Messiah is coming. I know that God's chosen one. That's what Messiah means, God's anointed one. I know that the Messiah is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Do you see the expectation in her? She's saying, I can't wait for that day when the Messiah will come, he is the prophet of all the prophets. He is the one who will teach us the truth. So to summarize so far then, in the Old Testament era, God revealed himself to blind human beings. He did this through calling certain people to fulfill the office of a prophet. There were many prophets, and each one revealed a little piece of the truth, but no one person gave all the truth. Many prophets came. Many prophets spoke the partial truth, but they all looked forward for a future prophet who would come, an ultimate prophet, a supreme prophet, the prophet of prophets, the one who would reveal all things. So that's the first stage in history, building up with this great expectation, and that brings us to our second stage, which is Christmas. God continued to cure our blindness by teaching us truth through Jesus, the final and ultimate prophet. This is Christmas. Now, this is the question we're trying to answer. 
Why would God become a man? What did he come to do? And the answer that we are seeing today, it's not the whole answer, but it's a big part of it. The answer we're seeing today is he came to teach us truth. That is to open our eyes to see reality correctly. Jesus came to fulfill the office of the prophet. Jesus, in fact, is the long-promised prophet of Deuteronomy 18. That's why, here's one of the other big passages on this whole subject, it's Hebrews chapter 1. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets. He did this at many times. He did it in various ways. So this is everything we talked about so far. Now here's our second point. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son. Not just any old prophet. By His Son. And then in his life, God identifies Jesus as the great prophet of Deuteronomy 18. You remember that moment when Jesus went up to the mount uh, with Peter, James, and John, and they're up there, and Jesus is transfigured before them, and then the voice from heaven speaks, and this is what God says. This is my son whom I have chosen. Remember the words from Deuteronomy 18? Listen to him. Listen to him. This Jesus... God is saying, this is my son. This is the prophet of Deuteronomy 18. This is the one that you must listen to. In Matthew 21, 11, the crowds of people even recognize this. They say, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Then Jesus himself, as the prophet, claimed that he was only speaking the words of God. In John 12, listen to what Jesus himself says. For I did not speak of my own accord, But the Father who sent me commanded me what to say and how to say it. So whatever I say is just what the Father has told me to say. So this is what Christmas is all about. Jesus is taking his prophetic ministry and he's saying, in fact, this is the very reason I was born. Listen to Jesus before Pilate. Here's a Christmas text for you. Jesus says, for this reason I was born. Christmas. For this reason I came into the world. Why, Jesus? To testify to the truth. Pure Christmas, isn't it? You can't get more Christmas than that. Here's why I was born. Here's why I came into the world. To testify to the truth. And there's Jesus with the woman at the well. He's standing with her. She says, when the Messiah comes, he will reveal all things. And Jesus responds and says, he who speaks to you, I am the one who speaks to you. I am the Messiah. I who speak to you am he, identifying himself as that Messiah. So, Jesus is the final and the ultimate prophet. He's greater than all the prophets who came before him. Why is he greater? Because he is God's son. Because he is the word made flesh. And that's why John can write in John 1 and verse 18, no one has ever seen God. But God, the one and only who is at the Father's side, has made him known. Revealing. So put this all together. Let's play a little Bible Jeopardy. And you're not even here. This is no fun without you here. But you can talk to the person beside you. There's a phrase in the Old Testament where whenever a prophet would speak, they would always begin, they would preface whatever they're going to say with this little phrase. I think it appears, if I remember correctly, it might even be 1,500 times in the Old Testament. What's that little phrase? You know what it is? 
pondering it, talking to the person beside you. Prophets would always begin what they had to say with these words. Thus says the Lord. In other words, this is not my opinion. This is not my words. This, what I'm about to say to you, thus says the Lord. Ah, but another Bible jeopardy for you. How did Jesus preface his words? Did he come and say, thus says the Lord? No. Jesus began with words like, truly, truly, I say to you, I say to you, taking upon himself not just the role of a prophet, he is the ultimate prophet, he is God in human flesh, so that when he speaks, you are hearing the very voice of God. How can Jesus speak with such authority? Well, here's the reason. It's because Jesus is not just a prophet. He is the prophet. Jesus is not just merely an inspired man teaching God's word. He is the word. Jesus is not simply come to tell us about God. He is God. So that when we see him, we see God. When we hear him, we hear God. When we see him act, we're watching God acting. So, just like Nunez was the character who came from the far country beyond into the valley of the country of the blind, Jesus is the one who has come from beyond our world and come into our world. And just as Nunez was highly capable and totally qualified to teach the truth about reality to all the people in the country of the blind, Jesus, the one who has come from beyond, the only one who can truly see, is not only capable, but utterly uniquely qualified and competent to teach us the true nature of reality. So do you see why I say this is such good news and so practical? It's so practical because there's so many conflicting opinions in our world. As we said, I mean, is there a God? What is God like? Uh, What happens when I die? How do I decide all these issues of right and wrong? And really, we are all, you just look around our culture, look at our society, We're all like blind people, stumbling around, trying to get a little handle on the truth. This person says one thing. This person says another. What we need is for somebody to come to the country, the planet of the blind, somebody who can see, somebody who could teach us about reality. And this, what we're seeing today, is the first reason, not the only, but the first reason why Jesus came into the world. He came to teach us, to cure our blindness, to enable us to see reality correctly, to understand the nature of what it means to be human, what's wrong with our world, the whole utter nature of existence. So, where are you at with Jesus today? Do you see him that way? Maybe you're not convinced. Maybe you're just tuning in today and you're saying, I'm interested in Christianity. I'm not convinced. Here's my recommendation for you. It's Christmas. Why not go read the book of Luke? It's got the most famous Christmas story in it about Jesus being born. Read Jesus' words in the book of Luke. And you come back and tell me what you think about this man. Is he just a normal or even a great teacher? Or is he something far more than that? God's cure for our blindness And our ignorance came in Jesus. Ah, but I said there's four stages in history. We've only done two. Let's do the next two a little more quickly now. Here's the third stage on how God cures our blindness. 
Christ continues to fulfill his office of prophet today through the Scriptures. In other words, he didn't just come once and he's totally done. No, he continues his prophetic ministry. When Jesus ascended back to heaven, he gave his Holy Spirit. The Spirit inspired the apostles to write down the words of Christ through the, through the Spirit of Christ. So that the, now we have this book, which we call the Bible, the Holy Scriptures. And once the apostles laid that foundation for the church, there was no more need for prophets like there are in the Old Testament. There are no prophets like in the Old Testament because Jesus is the final and ultimate prophet. No one can be a greater prophet than God himself. So the scriptures have been laid down there, and after the Bible is finished then, now Jesus continues his prophetic ministry by enabling us to teach, to read, to preach what he says here. So we help to carry on Jesus' prophetic ministry today whenever we teach the scriptures, Whenever we preach them in whatever setting, that is Jesus continuing his prophetic ministry in this present time. It's, for instance, why God has given pastors to the church. What is the charge that has been given to all pastors? 2 Timothy chapter 4, I charge you by the living God who will come to judge the living and the dead in, the, in, the, in Jesus appearing and of his kingdom. In other words, Paul's giving this huge thing. He's, guys, I'm about to say something really big to you. What is it? Preach your own opinions. That's not what he says. His charge to all the pastors and teachers in the church is preach the word. You don't get to just go deciding what you talk about. You don't sit there in your office in the week and say, what should I talk about this Sunday? I got a good thought. Maybe I'll share this idea. No. A pastor's job is to preach the word and to train up other people who can do the same. Not just pastors, though. It's the entire church. And this is why at Central, the Bible is the very center of our church. It's why we teach it at every single level. It's everywhere. Kids being taught, teenagers being taught, community groups going uh, through studying the scriptures. Of course, what I'm doing right now. That's why we put classes on, conferences on, to help us to understand what the Word says. It's why we care about the lyrics of songs, because they teach as well. We care because we are called to teach and preach the Word. This book is so precious to us because it is Jesus' words to us through His Spirit. We teach and preach it, and as we do, Jesus is continuing his prophetic ministry today so that as we learn it, what we're seeing is, oh, this is reality. This is teaching me about reality. I, I didn't see it like this before. Oh, okay, i got to be corrected. i got to understand this. Oh, what a gift this book is to us. Where we were once blind, we can begin to see because God has revealed truth through us through Jesus, the final and the ultimate prophets. But even here, we don't yet have 2020, do we? We do not see God. We still live by faith in this present time. We are often deceived and have wrong thinking. But the last stage when God will fully cure all of our blind ignorance comes. Here's the final thing to say. When Christ returns, we will be able to see reality clearly. When he returns, we will then have 2020, see reality correctly. So that's why the Apostle Paul writes these words. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, 
Then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. On that day, Revelation 22 verse 5 says, we will see his face. We will see his face. What was lost in Eden will be restored. The blindness that came over the human race through our own sin will be lifted and we will see him face to face and all of this is accomplished through Jesus, the final and ultimate prophet. So, all this then brings us to this single point today. Here's the final thing to say. It is simply this. Who defines truth for you? Who defines truth for you? It all comes down to where do you get the ultimate answers to all the things we talked about, the meaning of life, what happens when you die, right and wrong, all these matters. Who decides that? Now, what is the answer in our day? If you were to ask just the average person, who, would, who decides that? I think the average person would say, I do. I decide what I want to do with sexuality, what I believe about God. I believe God's like this and not like that. I believe I make my own decisions about what is true. But let me ask you a very important question. Are you really qualified to be the determiner of all reality? <laughs> I got to tell you, I'm not. I'm just not smart enough. I can hardly even understand myself. I'm trying to understand my wife, my kids. That's enough for me to try to understand. I cannot fathom half the things that go on in the world. And quite frankly, I have no idea what's going on at the bottom of the oceans, and I haven't the least idea how big the universe is. My mind cannot even comprehend our galaxy, let alone billions of galaxies. Are you really qualified to make statements like, well, I think God is like this and not like that? Are you really qualified to decide what is true and what is not? My appeal to you today is to consider who you are. You are an important person made in the image of God, but you are not God. You do not have a mind that can comprehend the mysteries of the universe or a mind that can even understand your own self. What you need is someone who can come from the world beyond to teach, someone who can reveal truth to you because you and I were just not smart enough. And friends, this is the message of Christmas, that the one has come from the world beyond. That God became a man, came into the planet of the blind, and has begun to open our eyes. If you want to know what's true, look to one who says, I am the truth. Look to Jesus Christ and learn from him. This is what this book is all about. It is the source for you to understand reality, to have your eyes open. So the ultimate question for you this morning and for me is this, what will you do with Jesus? Will you just write him off as, well, he was a great teacher, had some good things to say? Jesus won't accept that. He says, I am not just a great teacher, I am the teacher. I am the one who defines all that is true and all that is not. And Jesus says, come to me, and I will teach you all that truth, and that truth is glorious. It will all be for your good. Submit your mind. Submit all that you are to me, Jesus says, and I will give you life. So the message of Christmas begins here. 
that God did not leave us in our blindness and ignorance. Rather, in His grace, He sent His only Son into this world to teach us the truth about God, about our sin, about our need for salvation, our great hope in Him. Jesus is the final and the ultimate prophet. O come, let us adore Him, Christ the Lord. Let's pray. Jesus, we praise You. We exalt You that You did not leave us in our blindness, but that You and Your grace gave up all the rights, the privileges that were Yours as God, the eternal Son of God, and became a man, dealt with all the weaknesses and the frailties of what it means to be a human being, and were ultimately crucified. We praise You that You would do all this and in part to open up our eyes, to help us to see reality correctly. Praise you for your grace. Thank you for your patience with us as you continually do this, revealing more truth to us that our thinking would become clear. I pray for each of us today that we would bow the knee to you, submit our minds to you, look to you to be the teacher of all true and all that is real. We praise you in your name. Amen. Thank mm-hmm. you.